with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It's the Friday edition, which means we have the panel and some hot topics coming up in about a half an hour's time. But first off, here's this morning's front burner from CBC News. And I don't want to be so damn I remember people talking about her dad like taking over everything but I don't think I really understood what it meant until like I would say the last like two to three years when when the free Britney movement kind of started getting really big and I looked into it more so to see this go on for as long as it's been going of course it, it's frustrating because you know that she's not allowed to do anything herself so these women you're hearing are Emily Mercer in Cape Breton Nova Scotia and Sarah Hayward in Fredericton New Brunswick and they're both 27 and they're both Britney Spears superfans. They talked to our producer, Ashley Fraser, about why they're so concerned about the situation that Spears has found herself in since 2008. It's called a conservatorship, basically a court-ordered agreement where Spears' father and a lawyer are in charge of her finances and her day-to-day life decisions. Many fans are convinced that she's basically a prisoner in her own life, and they've started a movement to save her. Free Britney. What do we want? Free Britney. When do we want it? Now. We have to see your shirt, obviously. Dump him. Perfect. She already knows. Britney movement have rallied fans to protest not just online, but outside court hearings. They're calling for the conservatorship to end. Oh, oh. The conservatorship has got to go. Spears has never said publicly how she feels about the conservatorship, but many fans scour her Instagram account for clues and some think she's sending these coded cries for help. And this stuff can get into pretty heavy conspiracy theory territory. It was back in the summer. Um, She had an Instagram post up and somebody said, you know, Brittany, if you need help, if, if you need us to help you, wear a yellow like wear yellow in your next video and in the next video she was wearing yellow and then people were like oh my gosh you know she's reaching out to us she needs help and theories and coded messages aside there are real facts at play here and a court battle because what we do know is that spears wants a change on august 18th she filed court papers calling on her father to step down as conservator she wants a licensed professional conservator to stay on permanently instead and according to her lawyer Spears said she's afraid of her father. But this week, the Los Angeles Superior Court declined her request. I, I honestly think that it's inhumane, but I mean, I, I don't know what the word is for it. It's just, it's so, so sad. And these fans aren't the only ones that are concerned. The American Civil Liberties Union has offered Spears legal supports to get out of her conservatorship. Zoe Brennan-Cron, a staff attorney with the ACLU's Disability Rights Project, says the conservatorship threatens Britney's civil rights. We don't know whether Britney Spears self-identifies as having a disability, but we know that in putting her under conservatorship, the court is treating her as a person with disabilities and taking away virtually all of her civil rights and civil liberties as a result of that. Today, I'm speaking to Constance Grady, a culture writer at Vox, about Britney Spears' conservatorship, how she got here, and why some people feel that this story is about a lot more than one pop star. This is Frontburner. Hi, Constance. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. So we heard at the top of this episode a little bit about what Britney Spears' conservatorship is, but I want to explain it a bit more clearly. 
what do we know about what Brittany is and isn't allowed to do and the kinds of choices she's able to make about her own life? So a lot of this is pretty mysterious because a lot of it just isn't public knowledge. Uh, We do know from some reporting that Britney's conservators go over every purchase she makes um, down to, like, if she downloads a song off iTunes, they will know that and and go over that with her. We know that people under conservatorships like Britney are not able to exercise certain rights that American adults traditionally have, like voting. So it would be surprising if Britney were legally able to vote at this point. Um, We know that she doesn't have control of her business affairs. So, for instance, it's been reported that the hotel in Vegas where she has her where she had her residencies, it's a condition of those contracts that she remain under conservatorship while she's there. Hmm. So so in a sense, you're you're basically considered a, a child by the courts. Is that fair? Essentially, yes. Going under conservatorship means losing the privileges of being an adult and returning to being a child and having someone that you have to answer to and and be who is responsible for you. And and speaking of those people who are responsible, um, these conservators, in in this case, it's Brittany's father. Mm -hmm. They make money, right? Like this isn't something that they do for free. Yes. So it is considered a full time job. So her conservators do draw a salary of a few hundred thousand dollars for what she makes. Um, There have been some who have argued that, you know, considering how much trouble it is to be basically a manager for a major pop star, that's not that much money. Other people argue that, you know, they're making a percentage of all of the profits that come in from her very extensive <laughs> licensing and and all of her product lines. So that means that they have an interest in pushing her to work, even if that's not what's best for her mental health or what she personally wants. So I, I want to get into why so many people feel so concerned about this, including the American Civil Liberties Union. But first, uh, can we go back to how this all started in the first place. Um, I mean, thinking back to the late 90s and the early 2000s, Britney Spears was easily one of the biggest pop stars in the world. And I remember the string of incidents in the mid... 2000s, where she had this really public breakdown, right? Mid a media frenzy, the 26-year-old pop star was brought by ambulance to a Los Angeles hospital from her Beverly Hills home. Can you tell me more about the series of events that led to her being placed under this conservatorship in the first place? Yeah, so Britney Spears in 2007, there was starting to be a narrative that she was getting back to herself. Uh, She had just divorced from Kevin Federline, who I think most of her public considered to be very below her. And there was sort of this narrative that like, oh, you know, now she's dropped the dead weight and we'll see the real Britney again. And instead, that ended up being the beginning of even more of a downward spiral. Um, There were paparazzi following her everywhere, taking upskirt photos while she was going to clubs. Um, She started yelling at them in a British accent sometimes. Are you going to continue to sit here and film me? Are you going to be on your way? Because I'm never going anywhere. Um, she shaved her own head uh, while paparazzi photographed it through the windows. Bradley, did she say why? I mean, did she yes. offer any information? They, they asked why she wanted to shave her head, and she said, I don't want anyone touching me. I'm tired of everybody touching me. She hit a paparazzi's car with an umbrella. She went in and out of rehab. I think kind of infamously there was that performance at the VMAs in 2007. 
When she was sort of sleepwalking through it, and I think afterwards Perez Hilton lectured her about being disrespectful to her fans because of it. She also goes to a psychiatric facility, right? Twice. Yes, she is committed to psychiatric facilities twice, and those are also photographed, and paparazzi follow her as she goes in. I just want to reflect on this for a minute. Like, obviously... Uh, I lived through all of this. I'm like recalling all these memories now, you know, when she attacked the paparazzi with the umbrella, these upskirt shots that you just mentioned, that VMA performance um, where people were talking about her being overweight too. Like, I know she sort of floated through the performance, but also there's so much Mm. talk about her being overweight. And looking back all these years later, I just want to talk about how intensely sexist this all feels now. Um, And that must have been adding to her stress, right? This young woman was relentlessly hounded by the paparazzi. And then she was sexualized in such an incredible way, right? Her body was critiqued ever since she was young, a teenager. And they started, you know, criticizing what I was doing. I, you know, with me looking sexy, I didn't really take it as a criticization, you know, because I liked it. You know, I imagine it was hard for pop stars like Justin Bieber growing up in the spotlight like this, but... It feels like she got it incredibly bad. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And it's kind of astonishing to think that this was in 2007, so it was only about 13 years ago. Um, But it's looking back on it, you can't even imagine uh, the coverage that Britney got flying today. I found um, an article about her VMAs performance on ABC News, which, you know, a pretty staid, straightforward, mainstream American news source. And it quotes a publicist describing her as heavy and then sort of like as an, it's okay, she still got it, pulls out an, an anonymous internet commenter who went, well, I'd still hit it. Like, can you imagine a newspaper saying that today or a news channel about any major pop star? That's wild. And totally, it could possibly yeah. have been fun for her to live with or good for her mental health. Do you remember that virginity countdown clock, too? Oh, God. Yes, there was that sort of fetishization of Britney's virginity and the obsession with whether she was a real virgin or not, Um, especially when she was dating Justin Timberlake. And there was this sort of like, ooh, the two beautiful pop stars together. But of course, there wasn't ever any real question about Justin Timberlake's virginity, right? No one cared about that. They just wanted to know about Britney. So all this is happening um, in the early 2000s, and then it's at this point, right, in 2008, that Britney's father successfully petitions the courts for temporary conservatorship over her. And that so-called temporary conservatorship has actually continued for more than a decade to today. And it seems that a big part of the controversy around this is because people only end up under conservatorship if the court identifies them as having a disability and that they're not competent to make their own decisions. But, you know, this is something I want to ask you about. Britney has done these hugely successful Vegas shows since she's been a judge on the X Factor. So how can she still, all these years later, be considered not competent to make her own life decisions? Yeah, this is a big question. Um, I think especially her fans have pointed out that just two months after that emergency conservatorship began, she was guest starring on How I Met Your Mother. And they sort of have asked, well, if she's competent enough to be shooting a network sitcom, why isn't she competent enough to be in charge of her own life? Um, But this is a question that 
comes up fairly often in conservatorships. There are a number of people who are living in conservatorships who hold down jobs and are considered to be competent in certain areas of their lives. Um, but the courts still hold that they need supervision or guardianship in other areas. Segment one of this morning's front burner from CBC News. We have part two coming up in a moment here on 93.1 CFIS FM. You're listening to After Nine. Kickstart your Sundays with some heavenly music from Songs in the Chapel. Sunday mornings at 8 on 93.1 CFIS FM. Join me, Corey Walker, as to fill your home with the sounds of great gospel music. I feature a wide mix of traditional gospel styles, including country, southern, black, and bluegrass gospel, as well as some worship and contemporary Christian music. Inspiring message from Heartbeat by the Salvation Army is featured in every show. A Songs in the Chapel, Sunday mornings at 8, only here on 93.1 CFIS FM. You want it, you got it. Boston Pizza is bringing back some traditional BP classics. For a limited time only, Smoky Spaghetti, the Pizza Burger, and the Bacon Double Cheeseburger Pizza, to name a few, are back in action. Take advantage of this menu special by popping by either great location. You can also order online at bostonpizza.com through Skip the Dishes or give them a call. Boston Pizza Spruce Land and Boston Pizza Brookwood. Open daily at 11 to serve you. Boston Pizza. Stay safe, Prince George. Hello from Tops and Bottoms. We are now seeing our clients by appointment only. Please wear your mask too since the fitting will not allow for much social distance. To make an appointment, please visit our website topsandbottoms.ca or Google us and find the book link. You can also call the store at 250-614-1553. Tops and Bottoms at the corner of 2nd and Victoria. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today with a 40% chance of flurries this afternoon and a high of 1. Cloudy tonight, wind from the south at 20, a low of minus 6 with a wind chill to minus 12. For Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud at a high of 0. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And here is part 2 of your Friday morning front burner from CBC News. So I know that we don't know a ton about how Brittany herself feels about the conservatorship, but she has certainly said that she wants her father permanently removed from it. Mm -hmm. And this week, which is, you know, one of the reasons we're talking about this this week, she lost a court battle to do that. And what does that say about how hard it is to change or get out of a guardianship agreement? This is one of the main issues on which... Advocates I've spoken to for people under conservatorships have really been pushing for reform. If you go under conservatorship, someone is taking control of your life, which means this is a situation that is hugely ripe for abuse. And because of that, they should require a lot of court oversight. But it's very easy because these are bureaucratic courts systems, it's very easy for someone to make the decision that, oh, this person is a current and present danger to themselves. We have to do something fast. Let's get them under this conservatorship. And then once it's in place, it can become very, very difficult to get out of it. I understand Brittany's lawyer said that she was afraid of her father. And what do we know about why she might be afraid of him? So this is another one of the the big questions that no one really knows the answers to. Uh, There are reports that her father, James Spears, hit one of her kids, and that was part of what precipitated him uh, taking time off from working as her conservator uh, in the last year, but we don't really know any more details than that. 
Okay. I want to talk to you about the American Civil Liberties Union. I find it really interesting that they have offered Britney Spears legal support to get out of her conservatorship, and they've called it a threat to her civil rights and a disability rights issue. Our producer, Ashley, spoke to someone from the organization. There's really a a double standard where non-disabled people are free to make choices that their parents might not agree with and to learn from trial and error as they proceed through young adulthood and adulthood. But people with disabilities are subject to this very different standard of oversight. What do they mean when they say that? So a lot of the advocates I've spoken to consider this Britney Spears case to be kind of a flagship case for the conservatorship issue. Britney's legal rights have been removed from her under the assumption that she has a disability. Whether or not she identifies as having a disability legally, that is the justification for her conservatorship, right? So I think for a lot of advocates, it's helpful to have this case of someone that so many people already have like a deep emotional attachment to and say, can you believe that she has been made essentially a child in the eyes of the law, that seems wild. Mm -hmm. How can the government do that to anyone? Um, And sort of build from there to make a larger argument about whether we should have conservatorships at all for anyone. Mm -hmm. Hashtag free Britney movement at the top of this episode. took the day off to show support for our girl because she cannot use her own voice. Is this idea, based on this idea that Brittany is kind of a prisoner in her very constrained life. And um, many of her fans read something kind of conspiratorial into her Instagram posts. They, th- they think that she's sending like coded cries for help. And we're not here to debate the veracity of those claims today. But I do want to talk about her Instagram posts. Um, some of them are quite odd there's like a lot of spinning in a living room or vacant eye stairs there's this one odd one where she's just kind of standing there in a bikini listing off things to bring to the beach a towel oil sunscreen a dog and a hat i'm gonna go to my jacuzzi now and she she does not seem well necessarily in 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 some of these posts hi guys i'm in my gym right now i haven't been in here for like six months because i burnt my gym down unfortunately um i had two candles and you know is there an argument that maybe she can't be in control of some parts of her life and that this conservatorship is is a positive thing yeah i think that's the argument that a lot of james spears's legal team has made um and that judges have essentially listened to is that uh, we all saw Britney spiral out of control pretty publicly in, in 2007. And the conservatorship has gotten her to a place where, you know, she's financially stable and is able to be in contact with her kids and seems more or less okay. Um, and then when these Instagram posts pop up, they sort of become things that you can read all kinds of questions into, whether there are signs that, well, Britney's not okay, so she needs to get out of this conservatorship, or, oh, Britney's not okay, so that's why she needs the conservatorship more than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't, I can't help but think it is kind of a chicken or egg argument, too, right? Like, is she unwell because she is unwell and needs the conservatorship, or is she unwell because she's been living in this sort of bondage for over 10 years? And And this is something that 
would make anybody unwell, that that could be difficult for anybody to be under. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's it's a very difficult situation for anyone to live in and it's impossible to say necessarily whether it's helping or hurting her certainly neither of us can say that i probably no one can who's not you know britney spears's mental health team mm-hmm. one thing i did want to ask you about is that this hashtag um free britney i i know it was fueled by the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. And and can you tell me about that a little bit? Yeah, so I think one of the things that the Me Too movement woke up, especially um, as it applied to all of these incredibly famous actresses talking about the way they'd been treated by their industry, uh, was this desire to think more about the agency of famous women and how seriously to take them. Um, And Britney Spears is someone who there's always kind of been an open question in the way we talk about her, whether we consider her to be under her own control or not, right? So when Baby One More Time first drops in 1998, the sort of snooty rock critic argument about Britney was, oh, well, she's just the product of her producers, right? None of this is really her. She's a manufactured pop star. Um, And then sort of over time, there was this feminist reclaiming of Britney that was saying, oh, well, actually, Britney is in charge of her own destiny. You know, she did tons of artistic work on this song. She is the architect of herself. If pop studios had been able to make another Britney Spears, they would have. And they really, really couldn't, Um, which is really not the way the story is supposed to go, especially for for people who grew up idealizing Britney and aspiring to be like her one day and you know now they're grown up and are adults and living on their own and she still has to answer to her dad that's just not the way the story's supposed to go I think that's part of what makes people feel so protective of her right she kind of helped me come out she helped me want to dance she wanted to help me to be my own person I hope that she is truly okay and that we are here to support her no matter what no matter what she wants to do I can't help thinking about some other examples as well, and I, I would love to get your thoughts on this, about other women like Britney who have achieved a level of fame around the same time. And, and the details might be different, but they have also had their profits and their creativity and their autonomy in one way or another stripped from them. I'm thinking about Taylor Swift, right, who lost control of her back catalog. It's a lot to process because we do exist in this society where women in entertainment are discarded in an elephant graveyard by the time they're 35. Kesha, who's really been under the thumb of this male producer who she's accused of Ooh. assaulting her. The music producer denying the claims, which were ultimately dismissed in court and filing a defamation suit against the singer. Amy Winehouse also also thought her father was profiting off of her. And, and whether... It's ways to control that catalog or conservatorships. You know, somebody is finding a way to own these women. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's very interesting about that point is, you know, they're not unusual cases. What's unusual about Taylor's fight for her masters isn't that a produce that a record company owns them, right? That's the default in the music industry. Um, what's unusual about Taylor is that she is not accepting that and is pushing back against it. But the music industry is set up to create these stars, these young women, 
put them out for the public to consume and then funnel the profits towards the producers and the caretakers in the background who do mostly tend to be powerful men. Mm -hmm. And it it all makes me wonder if we've made any real progress, right, from like the days of Judy Garland, whose life was so famously controlled by a big studio who was drugged on set. But here we are decades later. I'm not sure at the core of it, it feels so different. Yeah, this is one of the great contradictions and and big sadnesses about uh, the celebrity culture. We're just taking these people and and sort of consuming them for our own pleasure. And, you know, they get tons of money and social power out of it. But on the other end, we've also seen a lot of lives get destroyed through this process. So it, it's very frothy and, and fun on some level, but it also turns out in really sad ways a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Constance, um, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. For this week, Frontburner is brought to you by CBC News and CBC Podcasts. The show is produced this week by Imogen Burchard, Allie Jane, Shannon Higgins, Katie Toth, and Ashley Fraser. This week, our sound design was by Derek Vanderwijk, Mandy Sham, and Matt Cameron. Our music is by Joseph Shabison of Boombox Sound. The executive producer of Frontburner is Nick McCabe-Locos, and I'm Jamie Poisson. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you on Monday. That's your Friday morning front burner from CBC News. You can also catch Front Burner on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You're listening to 93.1 CFIS FM's After 9. When we return, it is Bill Phillips and the Friday panel with some hot topics. Cold Snap 2021 is happening. The board and staff of the Prince George Folk Fest Society are pleased to announce that after months of deliberation, consultation, and consideration of provincial health orders, they have formulated an exciting, safe, and comfortable live music festival. Cold Snap will happen between January 29th and February 6th. Check out coldsnapfestival.com and the Cold Snap social media channels for up-to-date information on artists, venues, safety protocols, and tickets. Advocate Life and Education Services recently launched their first ever virtual fundraising gala. If you missed the live event, a recording of the one-hour presentation is still available online at virtualbanquet.ca. Online donations are still being accepted at changehearts.ca. This is part of their ongoing fall campaign, and supporters are encouraged to host a watch party for the gala. The Advocate Life and Education Services Virtual Fundraising Gala. Check it out online at virtualbanquet.ca. The United Way of Northern B.C. has completed the final round of funding through Canada's Emergency Community Support Fund. The total allocated was $858,000 to 44 agencies and 55 programs across Northern B.C. The United Way of Northern B.C. continues to strive to fill resource gaps created by the COVID-19 crisis with their Maximum Impact Fund. To help out, visit unitedwaynbc.ca slash donate. More information is available at unitedwaynbc.ca. The United Way of Northern 
Washington, B.C. Give, volunteer, act. Hope Air is Canada's only national charity providing free travel and accommodations for Canadians in financial need who must access medical care far from home. Since 1986, Hope Air has provided more than 150,000 travel arrangements, nearly 10,000 in the last 12 months alone. Check out their services and stories, as well as ways to give and get involved through their website, hopeair.ca, and sign up for their national newsletter, helping Canadians reach vital medical care. Hope Air. Visit them at hopeair.ca. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. I'm your host, Bill Phillips, to the uh, panel portion of After 9 on this Friday the 13th with a little fresh snow, so hopefully there's no black cats walking your way. Um, We're joined this morning by Mackenzie Kerr, who's uh, new to the panel this week, and Herb Martin and Eric Allen. Art Betke, we hope, is in transit. He was going to join us here. Um, We're going to try to track him down. He may be joining us later. Um, But uh, we'll start off with with Mackenzie, who many of you may know, ran for the Green Party in the provincial election. And she was a speaker at the Stop the Spray rally yesterday in uh, Prince George up at the Ministry of Forest office, uh, where a lot of people want the want the government to stop spraying glyphosate in our forests. Um, Mackenzie, maybe you could uh, fill us in a little bit and uh, give it, bring us up to speed on basically what you told the rally yesterday. Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me today. I'm super happy to be here. Um, so, yeah, yesterday I spoke at the rally um, at the peaceful protest outside of the ministry office, uh, demanding a ban on spraying of glyphosate. Uh, we are currently spraying this area of the province heavier than any other area, and, you know, we're seeing the effects on the land right now. Um, I was happy to be there with Mike Morris, who has been, uh, who is the BC Liberal MLA-elect, who's been speaking up about this, but uh, no one else in his party really wants to move in this direction. So, um, you know, we got to keep their feet to the fire and keep pushing on this issue. I'm studying forestry and, you know, I'm learning about the sustainable practices in class that we need to be doing. And uh, we had some folks talk about sheep grazing as an alternative yesterday at the rally. And, you know, these out-of-the-box solutions are what we need to be looking at because spraying poison on our forests that are banned in many other countries is not the way forward. And really, it's just for short-term profits, not for long-term sustainable forestry and ecosystem-based forestry so it's something I'm very passionate about and talk a lot about and and, all, and I'm always learning more from James who is an expert in um, James was the organizer of the event and he's the organizer of Stop the Spray BC and he's always uh, always willing to sit down with me and teach me more so I'm really happy to be in that circle of people that care so much about changing our practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, Herb, you were involved in organizing the rally a little bit uh, I understand. Um Fill us in a little bit on, on why this is so bad for our forests. Well, it, it's um, relegating our forests to, to monoculture plantations and uh, ignoring a lot of the values that uh, are out there. Potentially, uh, uh, we've lost the ability to support, um, for instance, a plywood, Aspen plywood mill in this area. We've, we've sprayed over 350,000 hectares in the last 30 years just in the Prince George uh, district. And um, that would have supported a, a, an aspen mill easily. So you know we're uh, you know never never mind the the values that uh, the forests have for uh, uh, for ranchers for hunters um, 
beekeepers, uh, food gatherers, um, you know, these, these are all values that are, are not being addressed by the Ministry of Forests. And um, this is, this is you know, we're, we're really suffering as a result of it. Uh, um, you know, the Ministry of Forests is not uh, listening to the people, uh, listening to the, the citizens who effectively uh, own, this, own this forest. And, um, you know, we're, and, and to, to make things worse, we're even paying Canfor and these other companies uh, to spray uh, herbicides to limit our options and to impoverish us, which is you know, the ultimate uh, indignity. Mm-hmm. Eric, uh, what are your thoughts on, on the spray? Well, <clears throat> excuse me, definitely I'm against it, and uh, so should everybody in the province of British Columbia, including those people in government and certainly the corporations that are doing it. There's, uh, you know, this is a really good case to look at where government and uh, corporations have an opportunity to do the right thing and stand up and say, okay, we agree, we're not going to do this and walk away from it. Or they can fight it uh, tooth and nail down the, uh, the road to try to get their, their way for what they want which is really just a way of getting out of that uh, situation of growing those trees for five years and then they're free to go. <clears throat> and I think that Herb knows more about that part of it than I do. But this, this is something that's happening strictly for monetary gain. It's got nothing to do with common sense. And really, companies, uh, all these big forest companies, it's time for them to uh, take some responsibilities for their actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mackenzie, you, you mentioned that uh, uh, Liberal MLA-elect Mike Morris was there, and he has been uh, uh, a vocal advocate uh, against the, the spray. Um, mm-hmm. So why is it so difficult to, to get things done, other than, than he's only one voice, I guess, in, in government? Or, or is it government uh, that, that, that can make this change, or is it the forest ministry? Or? So it can happen at multiple levels. Um, a lot of people think that it can happen uh, with, you know, forest companies on the ground, but the hard part is it's legislated. They have to hit free to grow by a certain time, and that's where I believe that it needs to happen at the government level, and uh, that's one of the reasons that I ran for office was because, you know, no matter how hard me being almost done my forestry degree, working on the, working on the ground in the bush, talking to my boss, and this is all hypothetical because I haven't had this experience yet, but my friends have, and they, they talk to their bosses, and their bosses say, well, our hands are tied. It's, this is the law right now. This is the policy. We have to follow it. And so people can find workarounds um, to do sheep grazing. But, of course, it's extra paperwork um, and extra work to, to get there. And it's more expensive right now because, you know, this is so subsidized and, and the people are paying for it. So we need to make sure that, you know, it's happening at the uh, legislation level as well with elected officials and um, yeah, I mean, Mike Morris brought it forward before, and it never went anywhere, and it's great that he keeps pushing forward, and it's great to hear that. I saw in the CBC article he wants to bring it forward again, but I'm not sure that his party is going to have a different approach or, or a different view when he brings it forward again. So, um, you know, if we can get the BC Greens and the NDP, this time we don't have enough to to uh, <laughs> outnumber, you know, if, if, if everyone is voting against it or whatever it may be, but we, we just need to keep um, bringing it up so that this issue is, is talked about. I mean, I brought something up yesterday in my speech and someone was 
someone commented on my post and they didn't know this and I had told people Elizabeth May her first activism whether you like her or not her first activism was when she was my age on the east coast of Canada against spraying so this is how long this has been happening in Canada and you know other countries have taken a step forward and banned it and we're still working on it in BC so there's a lot of work to be done and you know, I'm I'm not too hopeful, but Mike is going to convince all the BC Liberals to vote with him, and even then, he would need the support of other parties because they have so little seats right now. And so, you know, I'm I'm happy that it's being brought up. And if we had more Greens elected, maybe we could make it happen faster. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Um, um, Herb, uh, well, just just to, to be clear, we talk about glyphosate, which a lot of people don't really know. This is essentially Roundup. So if you're any gardeners know, if you pour that on your garden, there's not going to be anything growing. Uh, that's pretty much what it is. Uh, but Herb, uh, this does create monocultures, and uh, maybe you could just talk a little bit about why monocultures are, are not good for overall forest health. Well, they're, I mean, otherwise known as uh, matchstick plantations. So we, in, in the Prince George region, I don't know how many people know this, but there's 16 clear-cuts, effective clear-cuts, that um, are greater, in, greater than 10,000 uh, uh, hectares in size, uh, despite there being a regulation on the books for a maximum of 60 or 70 hectare clear-cuts. Uh, now, there was, there was uh, provisions made for, um, uh, well, for industry abuse basically that um, allowed giant clear cuts to uh, harvest pine beetle areas but we've seen that uh, in two of those areas uh, two of those clear cuts have, have sparked um, uh, some pretty major fires the shovel lake fire and the bobtail lake fire in the last was it three or four years and uh, at significant um, cost and danger to to the public in general um, the ministry of forests have um uh, have lost in the past 10 years, uh, basically have needed um, public subsidies to the tune of $3.5 billion. The, uh, the forest industry no longer pays for itself, or no longer pays the bills in this province. The taxpayers paying the bills. So we've got, um, we've got a, a crazy situation where basically the industry has captured the Ministry of Forests, and the Ministry of Forests is doing pretty much what the industry wants. And uh, we're, you know, we're on the hook for the for the bill, and it doesn't look good for the future. I mean, these, um, despite being, uh, or as well as being a fire hazard, um, these giant uh, monoculture plantations are vectors for disease for insects. Um, it's highly unlikely that these are going to reach maturity. Mm-hmm. Okay, and on on that note, we'll take a quick break. Seasonal closures at select parks and outdoor civic facilities are now in place. The gate at the entrance to Connaught Hill is closed to traffic. The outdoor public washrooms at Duchess and Clay-Lay-Tenay Memorial Parks are also closed, as is Massage Place Stadium. Motorists are reminded that winter on-street parking restrictions are now in place for residential areas, the downtown, and Priority One roads and hills. Full details on snow removal procedures, park closures, and parking restrictions are available on the city's website at PrinceGeorge.com. 
www.cbc.ca. The Elder Citizens Recreation Association is providing takeout lunches weekdays between 11.30 and 1. There is a different meal each day and each meal is $6. Pie, when available, is $2.50 and you can get soup in a bun for $3. Frozen meals and soups are also available. Social distancing is in place and masks are encouraged. Find the monthly menu on their Facebook page. Takeout lunches available weekdays at the Elder Citizens Recreation Association on 10th Avenue between Vancouver and Winnipeg. The United Way Tree of Lights is back. Look for the tree atop the coast in of the north as the United Way of Northern BC targets a fundraising goal of $30,000. Proceeds will go toward raising awareness and support for programs to fight drug abuse and related issues in Prince George. For more information, to become a sponsor, or to make a donation, visit the event page on Facebook, Instagram, or at unitedwaynbc.ca. The United Way Tree of Lights, atop the coast in of the north again this holiday season. Forecast from Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy today with a 40% chance of flurries this afternoon, a high of 1. Cloudy tonight, wind from the south at 20, a low of minus 6 with a wind chill to minus 12. For Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud at a high of 0. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And I'm your host, Bill Phillips. And uh, during the break, uh, Art Becky uh, arrived, so... uh, We'll go to Art. Art, we've been talking about the Stop the Spray uh, rally that was in the city the other day, or yesterday, and, uh, you know, spraying of glyphosate in the in the forest industry to control broadleaf plants. Yeah, uh, I've been listening. You've been listening? <laughs> oh, oh, good. So, uh, what, what's your take on that? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I'm kind of against it, too. Uh, big surprise, hey. Um, there's a reason why they do it, though. <laughs> I recall uh, way back in my career in the forest industry, uh, there were quite a number of areas that uh, had not um, regenerated properly where the brush had grown up to massive amounts. I, I recall one block that we uh, just pushed into rin- rose and burned because it had come back with maple and alder and that stuff was like 30 feet high and so thick you couldn't walk through it unless you went sideways. And uh, it was things like this is the reason they decide to start using the glyphosate to give the uh, conifers a better chance. But I think they've gone overboard. First of all, I think that uh, the conifers do need the deciduous brush as a nurse crop. It protects them, for example, from the leader weevil. Uh, The leader weevil is an insect that uh, drills a hole in the leader of the tree, which is the, the tender new growth at the top of the tree every spring. And uh, its larvae then uh, feast on the sumptuous uh, soft green uh, food and uh, kill the leader so the tree doesn't grow up. It grows thicker, you know, uh, sideways. The trunk grows thicker. Uh, but it doesn't gain any height. I've been in places where 30, 40-year-old trees are um, only like 8 feet high because of the leader weevil. It comes back, attacks it every year. And the weevil hunts by sight. In other words, it sees the silhouette of the young tree, and that's where it goes to to lay its eggs. If there's lots of brush around it, it can't see the silhouette. So, yeah, they're doing a lot of damage with spraying it in in many cases. I asked a forester many years ago, why not leave all the brush? You know, my opinion was the more you mimic nature, the greater the biodiversity, the better. And he said, you know, well, what we want to do is just give it a light touch. But they're doing a whole lot more than light touch now. They seem to be taking them right out completely, and that'll do more damage. The best treatment for logging, I think, is to try and mimic nature as much as possible. 
And for nature in this area, fire is the big cleanser. Uh, fire is the big renewer. And uh, when we used to broadcast burn, we got the best results for regeneration. Well, that's not allowed anymore. And uh, besides which, all that waste material that we used to use uh, or, or used to burn, we now use that for pulp and hog fuel. So, yeah, I, I do think we need to cut way back on the glyphosate. I don't know about an outright ban, but certainly need to do a whole lot less of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric, uh, um, uh, no, I lost my train of thought here. Uh, Reg was giving me a message, and I, and I and I got lost in translation here. Uh, but uh, we just go to Eric. Uh, um, a lot of the talk about is is uh, going back to manual brushing, and I think some of these large uh, cut blocks. Do you think that's uh, an actual option? Well, it's it's one option. It's like the guy at the rally was saying. You know, you can bring your sheep in there and do some things. Um, you know, I mean, we we have to first get honest and upfront with ourselves and say why are we clear cutting in the first place? And and the obvious answer is because from a, a corporation point of view, it's economical. It gets you maximum profits, minimum costs, which is the mantra of corporations. That's how they operate. So that doesn't mean it's good. I mean, they put their PR people out there and say, this is a good thing and we're going to replant it, yada, yada. I've walked through some of these areas that they replanted and there's all these hectares of these pine trees that are not much bigger than a pencil stub. And, you know, you do a little calculation with your head and say, okay, so it's going to take 65 years to get a tree out of this mess they have here. Who in the hell is going to be here 65 years from now? Who says that we are going to be building houses out of wood 65 years from now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's nothing. There's no science or anything to indicate that what we're doing makes any sense over the long term. So what it is, in essence, is a way that's been devised to rape the forests, make maximum profits, and then carry on wherever the hell it is that you're going. And right now it looks like southern United States. they got 45 mills down there, Canadian mills and Sweden, where they just bought a bunch of mills. So we need to look at the big picture and say, what's going on here? There's nothing to stop us from slowly going back to selective logging. The idea back in the days of the Socrates and Ray Williston and that was companies got their logs, but it was trees for jobs. That was the understanding. We give you a good deal on the trees, you create jobs. Mm-hmm. Now they've got the the trees and we got very little jobs so we need a a big big way of re-looking at this and we may have to do it through an established political party that's trying to get established like the Green Party and we may have to start you know throwing some people out of government and making some noises because otherwise it's not going to happen you know the the gal working on the fisheries uh, uh, down in uh, the islands has been working on it for 30 years to stop uh, those fish farms. Yeah. The woman that's working on the uh, uh, fracking and, and poisoning of wells and everything in Alberta has been working on it for 30 or 40 years. cost her over $2 million of her own money. And they still haven't made it. So this strategy that they have now is to stall as long as possible and by the time you get something it's too late. So yeah. we have to change how we think about things. Yeah, Mackenzie, that's one of the things that, that you uh, campaigned on is, is basically relooking at how we uh, look at the forest industry and what, what we do with uh, uh, more smaller scale logging and that kind of stuff. So just Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can talk a little bit about that yeah. if you'd like. So, yeah, I 
I campaigned on this. It's kind of nice to be talking with people that agree. I mean, I know that there is, you know, cross-party support for banning glyphosate, but it's nice to talk to people that uh, also agree on that because most of the time I'm put in a debate situation. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of nice. But, uh, yeah, that's exactly what we need to do. And, I mean, that's why I got into politics in the first time, first place was because I was seeing what was happening in the field and I was sitting in class and it was polar opposite. And the only way that I think that we're going to change this is if we get enough people in office to make noise and, you know, push whoever's in government to make the right decisions. And I don't want to have to wait until all of the people that are in their 60s and 70s are out of office because we don't have time for that. So, you know, we need these people elected now um, as soon as possible, not just waiting until they're gone. And, you know, I... It's definitely an uphill battle, especially up here, but this is the area that is affected the most. That's why I'm running up here. This is where I'm from. I'm seeing the effects up here. So, I mean, yeah, small-scale forestry is the future, and we need to look at the entire system differently. We can't just say, okay, well, it'll be great if we, you know, ban glyphosate or look at stocking standards in government, but that's just the beginning. And Mike said that yesterday at the at the rally and I was like yes this is just the beginning we have so much more work to do in the forest industry we need to be um, you know leading with indigenous people at the helm of forestry we need to be looking at community forests um, looking at horse logging again my family friends just down Blackwater have a horse logging company and they do it small scale we need to be looking at selective harvesting the, the options are there sheep grazing and all of these other alternatives to uh, Lisa to, to, to glyphosate spraying. Lisa Wood, who's studying glyphosate at UNBC, um, is a renowned scientist in this area, and everyone everyone knows about the work she's doing. She was tell, telling us that there's also a biological option for, um, you know, killing deciduous trees, if that's the route that we want to go. Well, and we need to be talking about keeping them on the uh, land. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I have to cut you off. We have to go for a oh, break. Yeah, no sorry worries. about that. <laughs> Elbin Classical has an activity the whole family can enjoy together. It's their multi-generational band. Tuesday evenings at 5.30, join in for an hour of musical fun led by some of our city's top classical musicians. Participation is free, but you must register. There's a limited number of instruments available for use on a first-come, first-served basis. To register, call Albin Classical at 250-563-4693. Multi-generational band presented by Albin Classical, 5.30 Tuesday evenings at First Baptist Church. Here are this week's announcements from Volunteer Prince George. The Salvation Army is looking for volunteers to ring bells during their annual Christmas cattle campaign. The South Fort George Family Resource Center is offering the free drop-in Little Artists program from 10 to 11.30 Thursdays. And Two Rivers Gallery is open to the public Tuesdays through Saturdays from 10 to 5. For more information on these and other volunteer opportunities, visit volunteerpg.com or call 250-564-0224. The Seniors Resource Centre at 721 Victoria Street is now open Monday through Thursday. People can come to the centre between 945 and 145 to access the services they need. Please do not come if you are experiencing any signs of illness such as fever or a cough or have had recent contact with someone who is isolating. Wearing a mask at the centre is mandatory. The Seniors Resource Centre, 721 Victoria Street, open Monday through Thursday from 945 to 145. Tourism Prince George has a new look. 
From their website to social channels and a new color palette, check out their newly crowned destination and base camp to the north. The new site includes an interactive map, a robust directory for dining, and a dedicated page for staycations. Visit tourismpg.com to see for yourself and engage with Tourism Prince George by using the hashtags TakeOnPG and ExplorePrinceGeorge. With great links to local happenings and attractions, tourismpg.com, base camp to the north. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And I'm your host, Bill Phillips. We've been talking uh, glyphosate and spraying uh, for the first couple segments, but I think we'll switch it up and go south of the border and uh, go to Herb and uh, for uh, his take on what's happening. Is Donald Trump actually on his way out, or what's going on there? I think he's trying to hang on to the very last minute. He's got a, he's got a long shot... Um, chance of actually staying on as a two-term president if the uh, Electoral College can't, uh, can't come to an agreement uh, on who's been elected. And that might happen if, the, uh, uh, if they can't certify, if the states can't certify their uh, results because of ongoing court challenges, uh, it will be decided in the Congress where uh, uh, Trump has an advantage. Uh, the, the, the states in question are mostly Republican, and it would come down to Republican congressmen making making a choice. So it's a long shot, but there's a million MAGA march uh, scheduled for Washington tomorrow, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. I mean, if if only a few thousand people show up, then uh, it's all over for him. But uh, if there's a million people, um, he's he can create a lot of mayhem, and he might he might just be able to stay on. Eric, what do you think? Do you think it could be a, a million-person mega-spreader event? Uh, or? No, no, it probably came out of... <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I, I kind of did a little research on it. And there are a number of uh, uh, rallies that are planned for Washington on, on Saturday and that, but they're all for different, different groups, and only one of them or two of them supports Trump. The rest of them are anti-Trump or something else entirely, so... Uh, who the hell knows how some of this stuff gets out there? Trump has lost the election. Everybody in uh, the world now knows it, including him. And be- just because of his nature, he's hanging in there and making it difficult for everybody. But, you know, I mean, I don't think he wants to be there to the point where they have to have a U.S. marshal or somebody march him out of there. So he's smart enough to get out. He just, he can walk out of there now that he's created all this doubt and say, I actually won, but they stole the election from me. So in his mind, he's not a loser. Mm-hmm. Uh, Art, uh, you've been a bit of a supporter for Trump over the last little while. Do you think he's finally done? Uh, I think so. Uh, mind you, uh, even he admits that he's a poor loser, and we all knew that if it came to this, he would fight to the last breath to uh, try and uh, pull it out of the fire. And, uh, you know, it's pretty obvious, too, that uh, both parties were expecting a close race. Both of them had something like 600 lawyers lined up for taking action. Mm-hmm. So if, it, if the situation was reversed and it was Trump with the narrow win, we know full well it would be the Democrats doing the same thing. And neither side is going to admit that the other side won fairly. But... Uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I think he's done, but he's he's never going to give up, and he's never going to admit that he actually lost. He'll say it was stolen for sure. 
Yeah, maybe we should just tell him he won and he can move into a new White House, just a little in the suburbs somewhere, <laughs> and he'll be happy. Mackenzie, what are, you, what are your thoughts on, on Trump and, and maybe why the Green Party isn't a force down there like it, like it is up here? It's a, not that it's a necessary force up here, but it's burgeoning and it keeps uh, getting more support. Yeah, well, thanks for saying that. <laughs> I'm trying my best. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Trump is a very dangerous fascist dictator. I mean, to be honest, I'm uh, not, yeah. Uh, but I think that he's going to try and hold on to it, and, and regardless of the outcome, he would never admit that he lost because he's a sore loser and is not a, should not be a politician and should be... Uh, you know, in jail for a lot of the things that he's done, but he's just fired the people that have questioned him, and it's, yeah, it's just a very bad situation down south. Um, I think the Green Party down there, it's, it's a lot tougher with their voting system um, because of the Electoral College and everything. Up here, we also have first-past-the-post, but, you know, it's, it's different. It's not the same. Uh, it, it's, it's not the same, and I think that up here, there's a lot higher chance of getting Greens elected, and not playing the whole vote for the lesser of two evils and anything else is a wasted vote or a vote for the other party. So I think that we saw um, a decrease. Uh, we did see a decrease in the amount of support for the Green Party in this um, election in the state. Uh, and it was just because people were so adamant on getting rid of Trump that they voted for Biden. And, you know, there was a whole, there was a whole movement of just settle for Biden and I am not a fan of Biden either. I'm definitely not in support of him either. But you know what? He is not Trump, and we can, you know, we can work on it. And I don't know. It's just a big, giant mess down there, but there's a lot of good people that are working to, you know, push forward and get rid of him and, you know, move in the right direction. And I, uh, we, we also need to look at all of the black, indigenous, and people of color that voted for Biden because in a lot of those swing states, that's what pushed them over the edge. Those people mm -hmm. pushed it over the edge. And you can look at those stats, and that's kind of who we have to thank. To, that's, you know, that's what they've been saying and showing the statistics. That's what pushed, pushed it over the edge. And we're, we're yeah. still seeing the, the results up in the air. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And on that note, we will come to a conclusion, and we'll see you next week. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbu of the Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFIS-FM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.